Welcome to Drive Time, our UCLA Anderson Fully Employed MBA podcast. This is Dylan Stafford, your host, and uh, we have a very special alum this week. Kimberly Freeman is with us, and um, I say special for several reasons. I, I think you're going to enjoy hearing her um, career path because she's made some bold and different moves and really created a, a unique history in her own career. And, um, and also, she now works here at UCLA. So to formally introduce Kimberly, she is our Assistant Dean for Diversity Initiatives and Community Relations for, here, for us here at UCLA Anderson. And in this position, she leads our school's strategic efforts to promote diversity and inclusiveness for all members of the school and to strengthen relationships with the broader community. Prior to coming back to Anderson to work, Kimberly worked at Southern California Gas Company as Director of Community Relations. In addition to her professional work in the community, Kimberly is passionate about public service. She serves as a gubernatorial appointee on the board of California Volunteers. She is a mayoral appointee on the Housing Authority of the City of Los Angeles Board of Directors, and she is a trustee of Mount St. Mary's University here in Los Angeles. Uh, by way of introduction, we'll say hello to our listening audience. Hello, listening audience. Thank you so much for being with us. And um, maybe would you, might, why don't we start with a little bit about sort of, uh, you know, your prior education, where you grew up, anything like that, and then we'll start to talk about your career because you've had such an interesting one before coming back to Anderson. Well, thank you, Dylan. I always like like to start off by saying that I'm a native of Los Angeles. Um, I'm really proud to be a native of the city and so that's something I like to highlight in my background. In addition, I'm a product of public schools. I went to many of LA's finest public schools and had the opportunity to go to not only UCLA but also UC Berkeley where I earned my first degree in engineering and did an undergrad, did a minor in uh, business. And then when I came to, came back to Los Angeles from college, I decided that um, I was really interested in working in the public policy arena. And it was a natural fit for me because I was working for Southern California Gas Company at the time, which is a regulated investor owned utility. So I had the opportunity to learn a lot about how regulations impact business. So I went back to graduate school first in public policy and then did my master's here at UCLA in business. So you, you because your, your bachelor's degree at Berkeley is a BS in industrial engineering, as you said, and so when, when did you start to see this, I mean, bigger than engineering horizon for yourself? Probably when I was an undergrad. Um, I was very active in the National Society of Black Engineers when I was at Cal and I had an opportunity to interact with a lot of different people from different schools around the country and I saw that my engineering skills could be used in many different ways and I really got interested in organizational behavior and organizational design so that's why I did um, it was actually not a minor program but it was a, an additional you could take a, an additional uh, suite of classes as an engineering major in another part of the campus and so I chose business so that I could learn um, some of the skills that I would later revisit when I got my MBA. So I, I had already had my eye on shifting out of engineering when I was an undergrad. And before we get to your MBA, because of course that's the one I want to talk about, so um, when you earned uh, your master's in public policy, were you working or were you a full-time grad student? 
I've always worked when I went to school, even when I was an undergrad. Um, certainly I didn't work as many hours as I work now, but um, I've always had to work to put myself through school. When I was in graduate school, I did the part-time program at USC in public policy. And what I really liked about that program was we had something called intensives, which allowed us to go to school on the weekend. So mm. I was already familiar with that format when I came to UCLA as a FEMBA. Um, so I took several classes in the intensive format, and that allowed me to essentially earn my master's degree in the same amount of time that someone would if they were studying full-time. And were you with SoCal Edison that? Gas company. Yeah, yeah I, I was with Southern me. California Gas Company. Sorry, I always get confused. Yeah. And then, because I think one thing that people, I, I like to have our guests talk about sort of when did the to get more specific to our degree, when did the MBA start to be on your horizon? Had it already started in undergrad or was it after that? When did you start thinking, well, that's the graduate degree? Well, I thought about it in undergrad, absolutely. Like I said, I was able to take some business courses when I was at Berkeley. I took classes at Haas. So I had that exposure. But what also triggered my interest in business um, was a conversation, quite frankly, that I had with an executive at the gas company, um, at our parent company, actually, Sempra, when I finished my MPP. He actually encouraged me to get the MBA because he said, you know, you're going to have a harder time kind of justifying that choice of an MPP hmm. in this environment. And I thought it was strange. Um, I thought it was strange because I was working for a regulated utility, mm -hmm. which is definitely... Um, an area where public policy skills are needed. But he was very practical. Um, he actually had a law degree. And he was the one who, you know, really encouraged me to think about an MBA. And um, so when I was probably 10 years into my career at SoCal Gas, I decided to get an MBA. All right. So now we get to, for me, the million-dollar question. So did you, did, well, I mean, you already had one degree from USC, so you could have gone there. Your undergrad was Berkeley, could have flown up there. So you chose Anderson. So you remember anything about your choice group, or is it too far back? No, I remember vividly. Um, so my career is very interesting at the gas company. And um, while I might not be as sharp on the dates anymore, because I'm now getting seasoned in my uh, profession, or, you know, in my career, when I was at so Cal Gas, I took a job in San Francisco, actually. Um, I worked as a lobbyist, so I was an energy lobbyist for about three years. And during that time, we had the California energy crisis, which was obviously a very intense period for um, not only the companies that were regulated by the California Public Utilities Commission, but for our consumers as well, who were subjected to this um, very volatile time in the energy markets. And so... Was that um, Enron and the rolling brownouts, or, or was that different? It was definitely the rolling blackouts, um, but it was related to a, a particular policy decision that our state legislature had made um, in around 1998, I think it was, to deregulate a portion of the electric industry. And so that subjected some customers in um, San Diego, the San Diego area, to um, market prices instead of having regulated energy prices. And, and in that, in the course of that, lifting the rate cap, um, and to not sound too technical, but in the process of lifting that rate cap, um, customers' bills went up exponentially. And so we had a crisis there, um, kind of regionally, 
and we also had the rolling blackout. Okay. And I interrupted. I was because the question I was asking was sort of as you were looking at your MBA choices in California, and and you were picking Anderson. So I chose Anderson while I was working in San Francisco. Yeah. Okay. And I chose Anderson while I was working in San Francisco because. In my mind, I always knew I was going to come back mm -hmm. to L.A. And it made more sense to me to align with a school that had alumni here in the Southern California area than to attend school in another part of the country or another part of the state. I did um, very seriously contemplate UC Berkeley, but I decided I already had a degree from there. And I really felt a connection to Anderson when I came to one of the open houses when I was contemplating business school. Because so. I think one of the, you you, uh, you kind of set me straight a little bit because I was probably in, you know, in my first couple of years in the recruiting and um, I I was so proud that we were starting at that point back in, I don't know, 03 or 04, 05 to have a lot of people flying down from, from the Bay Area and I thought I thought it was brand new and, and <laughs> you stood up at the open house and you said, I actually commuted during my FIMBA experiences. I thought, oh, wow. Oh, okay. People have been doing this for a while. So, right. Was, so tell people if you remember anything about, you know, like how did you, how'd you balance all that? You know, did you did all day Saturday, I guess. And... I did all day Saturday once again. Um, what's interesting is I wasn't the only student. There was another uh, student who lived in Oakland and he and I were both commuting, although. He was in the process of moving to Southern California early in the degree program, so he eventually relocated. I didn't come down, didn't come back to Los Angeles until I think a year and a half into my program. So I spent the first, the core part of the Simba program commuting between LA and the Bay Area, and it was tough. Um, you know, it was easy in the sense that we didn't have the same airport security issues that we have now oh, post 9-11 yeah. so that made things a lot easier for me in terms of getting you know, on my airplanes and not missing my flights but i was still working in the bay area monday through friday and then coming home saturday and sunday mm. wow yeah i just i love the commitment level that i see people put into you know the historical all-day saturday commuting and now you know we we have people from Boston and Seattle and New Orleans and Houston and Washington, D.C. and North Carolina in the flex schedule, and people just make it work, and it's so fantastic. Well, I think there's something, you know, magical when you come on campus and you're in that Saturday-only section. Um, for me, I just, I was so interested in what our professors were teaching. I was so interested in what my classmates were doing in their respective fields. We had people from aerospace and finance, and of course I was from energy, and we had some other folks that worked in the oil industry. So we had a nice mix of industries, and I've just always been a curious person by nature, so it was a way to understand how other businesses made decisions, you know, in an environment that was sort of like a laboratory. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, I love the, the laboratory metaphor. That you can experiment with different elements of your career as a FEMBA student, and that's such a, in real time. You know, oh, I want to expose myself to finance, or I want to, you know, I like that. You know, I'm going to go be a, uh, spend three years as an energy lobbyist. You're like, mm -hmm. what a unique, 
I think one of the things I always liked about your career with the gas company was you seem to have really distinct chapters within one one employer for a, a good period of time, but you did very different things within your career. Probably a, a combination of all three of your prior degrees gave you the chance. And then it also seems like you're pretty good at seeking mentors and, and, and getting some people to kind of help guide you. Mm-hmm. Um, anything that you might want to say about some of those forks in the road, you know, from your career that you think might be useful for people who are sort of in FEMBA or recent graduates who might be listening? Sure. Well, on the um, importance of mentors and the mentors I've had in my life, I think I learned very early in my career at the gas company that um, you were going to be tapped on the shoulder for things that you might not have even seen, roles that you might not have even seen yourself doing. And so um, staying open, staying flexible, being open to the idea of being a lobbyist with an engineering background or being a community relations director, you know, with a public policy degree was something that was um, ingrained in me very early in my career by the mentors that I had at the company. Um, I took a lot of different risk with my career because I could. I felt very confident when I was in that environment. I felt like people trusted that I knew what I was doing and uh, most of the time they were right. And I felt like I could be whatever, you know, job I was in, I I felt like I could morph into that. So, um, you know, I even sometimes think I've morphed, you know, to a new job coming here to Anderson because I had not formally worked in diversity and inclusion at Southern California Gas Company, but I had always worked on diversity and inclusion. Well, I want to, I want to talk about that, but I just want to ask maybe before we because I want to ask the question of, so what had you think to come back to Anderson? Um, Because I'd love for people to hear that, because I want some of you on this call to come back in future chapters of your careers. You know, I think that's one of the richnesses of Anderson, obviously, is the people, and people participate for a season. It doesn't have to be a lifetime, but they come for two years or four years as faculty and and as returning alum. But you, you mentioned confidence, and we welcome our class of 2019 on Monday, and I've been working on my opening remarks, and I love the three pillars of share success, think fearlessly, and drive change. And to my way of articulating that, it's sort of heart, head, and, and gut. Share success is, is the friendships that you make that become lifelong friendships. Obviously, think fearlessly, that's your head. You know, it's gray matter work. This is graduate school at UCLA. But the third pillar, the drive change, to, to my way of framing it, you know, that's that gut check. That, and, and so I'm just curious when, when you say that you knew yourself to be someone who had the confidence to be willing to try new things, how, how do you think about confidence and, and how did you see confidence in any of your three degrees, FEMBA or, or your public policy or your, your original engineering? I'm always curious, where does confidence come from? Is it just natural or is it something that we can develop in ourselves? Um, because it seems to me as I see your career, and you guys should look her up on LinkedIn. It's really fun to read her her resume for Kimberly here. Like anything about that that you might say for people who are, you know, in this commitment to grow and develop during FEMBA? Well, that's a good, um, that's a good question and it's a good thing for me to really think about. So using the same share success 
think fearlessly and drive change. Um, I, growing up as uh, the youngest in a family of eight, I think the sharing success was something that my parents taught us early. And so that confidence came from being the youngest of eight. Wow. And the youngest of eight. The youngest of eight. Well, the youngest of six children and then two very loving parents. So um, growing up in a family, in a household of eight people, we had to share success in so many different ways. The thinking fearlessly, um, I've always been a big picture kind of person. And um, even when I went up to college, I was the first person kind of to go away to college in my family, if you will. And I didn't go very far. I only went up to the Bay Area. But it was just this idea that I could strike out on my own at 18 and try something new. So I think I've always challenged myself in that way. And thinking fearlessly is really about challenging yourself and finding where your limits are. And then driving change, that's really the um, compassionate side of who I am, the person that loves to volunteer in the community, that did a degree in public policy because I understand that nothing gets done in this world without some you know, political intervention or um, policy intervention. So I was very clear that I needed to understand how, for example, Sacramento operated, how DC operated, how the city of LA operated, if not for my own quality of life, certainly for the quality of life for my family and my community. So those were really important um, you know, steps that I took to become a very multifaceted person. And I think I think hanging around Anderson, for me, having spent a decade plus here, today's my 14-year anniversary of working at Anderson. Congratulations. <laughs> I started, I think, the day before Leadership Foundations in 2002, um, or the day of Leadership Foundations. It was something. It was, it was fun to just walk in the door and see all of the excitement of Leadership Foundation. But yeah, the, just you meet so many people here that you do develop a certain um, comfort level with you know, not always understanding everybody's background, mm -hmm. but, but listening for the common, what's the common that we do have, even though we have such diversity of talent and education and cultural upbringing. And I think we have, I forget how many nationalities in the entering class, but it's, it's always, it's the United Nations over and over again. And I, I love that about, about this place. And what I, what I want to suggest to people listening to the podcast, again, as you're in your, your own growth and development journey of Thumba, the confidence just accrues. You know, you, you go through the core curriculum, you go through your first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, you got the first year under your belt, you're a third of the way through, you, you start the second year, you knock out two more core classes, then you transition into the elective phase, you start choosing your electives for a couple quarters, and then the Global Access Program kicks up, and there's all of the, you know, the kind of focus that that requires. And then all of a sudden, you're taking your last electives, and you've gotten to the finish line, and where it exactly clicks, whoever knows, but it, it does happen that, that people just really transform their competence. You know, mm -hmm. they, they get the, uh, we interviewed Dean Shi last week and she talked about they're just developing analytical, critical thinking, confidence and skills. So we really do think fearlessly, but, but then there's this holistic outcome that's kind of a growth of just being in this really stimulating community. And, and you get to know yourself to be a person who can be in a room full of smart people and still participate. So, anyway, sorry. Well, no, there's lots of, obviously, there's lots of leadership theories out there, but the one that makes 
a lot of sense to me is, you know, leaders kind of go through stages, much like babies learn to crawl first, then walk, then run. Mm -hmm. And so in leadership, you learn to work with ideas or, or work, excuse me, first with things, and mm -hmm. then you learn to work with people, and then you learn to work with ideas. And so what makes an experience like Anderson unique is it takes you from kind of that crawling and walking stage to a place where you can run with ideas. Mm -hmm. And that's really, I think, what a leader is supposed to do is to be able, you know, to, to be able to run with mm -hmm. those ideas and be able to express them in such a way that he can he or she can bring other people along. Well, I want to talk about your your appreciation of civic engagement, and I want to talk about um, sort of the why do you leave the gas company and come back to Anderson, but I don't know which is the better order. Which one should we? <laughs> it's probably easier to take the career piece because um, the civic engagement is so broad and all-encompassing and will be with me for the rest of my life. But um, again, just using that metaphor of, you know, learning to crawl before you walk, walk before you run. I spent so much of my formative career at the gas company. Um, that's really where I got my wings. That's where I learned to be not only an individual contributor, but someone who led teams and worked across functions, worked with different organizations, and really was an ambassador for the company for many years. And I got to a point where I recognized that um, I could either leave it all there and um, continue to be successful in that environment, or I could push myself further, which is the thinking fearlessly, and try to do something that really got to my heart. So when you were talking about the head and the heart, um, and for me, education clearly is an important value that I hold. And coming back to a place that I earned a degree from, a place that's located in a city that I grew up in and a place that I love, was pretty much a no-brainer for me. It married a lot of my ideas about what we should be doing in society. So. Like I said, 2014 was great when all of a sudden you weren't here just, you know, once every quarter or once a month, but, but day in and day out. And I always appreciate our conversations because you're helpful for me to, sometimes you just need like a professional colleague who can help you be a sounding board. And I've, I've always appreciated that about, um, I'll knock on your window. Hi, <laughs> Kimberly, can I interrupt your afternoon for a minute? Because I have this idea or I'll be, you know, kind of, like you just need people in your career that you can just talk to who, right. who aren't necessarily in your day-to-day -day sphere of things, but whose perspective you appreciate. And, and you're always that for me and I always appreciate that well I appreciate it too the feeling is mutual and I remember yet another one of my mentors at the gas company said you always need to be about three questions deep you know in any subject that you're undertaking any job you're undertaking I guess um, and I think that being able to bounce ideas off of someone allows you to keep refining and you know, going through iterations of your problem solving. So I'm like you. I have the same need to be able to talk to people and bounce things off of them, ask for clarification, and, you know, 
see if I'm missing something, if I have a blind spot. I think that comes with maturity. It's probably not something that we think of as being necessary early in our careers, but the older you get and the more miles you have on the road, you recognize you don't know everything, mm-hmm. and it's helpful to talk to people. Yeah, really, we're, we're hosting the part-time MBA Dean's Conference in October, and we'll have about 70 of the, well, the top 70 part-time schools will be in attendance, and Dean Margaret Shee and, and Gonzalo Frasius and Dean Olean is going gonna, is gonna to welcome our guests, and, and I love the conversation, plus we have a bunch of staff, and mm-hmm. I love the conversations because there's no right way to run a conference, right. and all these people's opinions are legitimate, and they're grounded in having attended hundreds of conferences, and we really want to showcase the breadth and depth of UCLA, and and it's it's just fun to listen to people think out loud. Well, should we do this or should we do that? And a little or a lot. And we don't want to brag about UCLA, but we don't want to forget to you know we have so much to share as as one of the top five you know perennial top five nationwide worldwide part time programs. A lot of these schools they they are coming. They actually want to hear what we have to mm-hmm. say. But we we get all diplomatic. Well, we don't want to look like we're bragging. You know, how much do we talk about Gap or the the global immersions or the flex curriculum or any of these things we've done that have been very progressive and other schools look to us as a, as a benchmark and a leader. Um, so yeah, I like, yeah, every, three questions deep, five questions deep. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I tell people that all the time. You need to be about three questions deep. And they say, what does that mean? But it just means, you know, don't believe you have the solution on the first try. Spend mm-hmm. some time, ask some questions, kick the tires. You know, anything about, because your your career really does speak to being engaged, being a citizen, being a participant, having, I think one time you told me, you know, I'm a really, maybe I, this could be wrong. Did you tell me you were a really good auntie one time? You know, that, you know in the sense of mentoring a lot. I spend a lot of time with my nieces and nephews. Yes, I do. Yeah, and, and that, that, I think, in your personal, but then your professional is an extension of that too, being... Right the community relations, the, the outward facing representation of, you know, the good intentions of the gas company. And now, you know, again, taking a very public leadership role at, at Anderson. So, you know, that's not always the way MBA, the average MBA might walk in the door thinking about what their career is going to be about. And I was hoping that an interview with you could possibly plant some seeds with people. Anything about the whole world of your career that you might suggest to someone who's who's in their MBA experience and is more focused on kind of the, the one-two job promotions in front of them but hadn't really thought that they could also have this bigger impact. Well, that's, again, I think the thinking fearlessly aspect of what we talked about earlier that you have to think beyond, you know, the next promotion or think beyond the next job that you have, really what are you con- contributing to society? How are you going to measure your success and the things that you hold dear? And I think that um, it's very hard to do that when you're at certain points in your life because you really haven't had the wisdom of time and experience. But as you gain wisdom and or time and experience you're able to see that there's a lot more that your skills could be used for than just especially MBA skills leadership and management skills um, 
they're just so transferable to so many different organizational settings. I think when you were talking about, you know, my time at the gas company, my time here now with the um, piece of my job in community relations, I always treat everything like it's my family, you know. Mm. Um, I feel very comfortable in large, diverse groups, um, and I feel like it's incumbent upon me to be the best ambassador I can be for if it's UCLA Anderson or UCLA overall or, um, you know, like I said, my own family or any of the organizations that I'm involved in. I don't, that's something that I don't take lightly. And my commitment to service, I'm sure stems from the fact that I come from a family that um, originated in the segregated South and had uh, a lot of experience with bias and not being able to have the opportunities that I had after my parents chose to move here to California. So I feel a, a tremendous obligation to represent this next generation of my family and making sure that, you know, I respect those opportunities and that I do something to keep the door open for someone. Um, well, we're kind of coming up to the end of our podcast. Anything that we not covered that you would like to include? I think as a concluding comment for students who are really on the fence about what they want to do with their degree um, post-Anderson, especially if they want to get into the social responsibility or you know, um, social entrepreneurship space, that you do think of how your skills are going to be generalizable in society versus um, pigeonholing yourself into thinking that you have to stay in the lane that you came to school in. And I think one of the beauties of being in a diverse classroom where you have classmates that represent all the sectors, all the economic sectors, is they can have a conversation with someone who maybe works for a nonprofit and say, what was it like when you made the decision to transition from the private sector to a nonprofit? Or what was it like when you transitioned from the private sector to a government role? Um, take advantage of those conversations because that's just as meaningful from an education standpoint as it is to listen to lectures and, and actually do the formal education. Well, thank you for that. And, um, you know, thanks for being somebody that I get to talk to because um, Kimberly's been giving me some suggestions about my own career in the last six months, and I'm very grateful for them because it's good to have people who are encouraging you to stretch your thinking and remember that you know the world is full of amazing next opportunities but we we do have to kind of raise our hand and say okay I'm, I'm ready and and then prepare ourselves appropriately and i love our conversations because um you've gotten me thinking about good stuff well thank you very much uh, i hope you've enjoyed this interview with kimberly freeman our assistant dean for diversity initiatives and community relations here at ucla anderson and a proud femba graduate yes and um We'll be back next week with another.